Good morning, good evening, good night, and happy October. I hope you guys are all as excited as I am about the Inktober posts that are happening all over your feeds. It is a wonderful month as all of our artist friends have to make art, or they don't have to, but they choose to make a new piece of art every day, and it's usually some sort of spooky Halloween-y theme, which is my absolute favorite holiday and is probably several of yours as well. So happy October and really just enjoy this time. Maybe you're in an area where the leaves are changing color. That's cool. I miss that. Pennsylvania is really beautiful this time of year. Maybe you're starting to get a little chilly and you got to pull out your favorite box of sweaters. Oh goodness, lucky you. Maybe you're catching big waves because the winter waves are coming in. Or you're trying and failing, but learning. I guess that's just me. Anyway, this episode is exciting. It is with my good friend, Adam Taylor. He is a neon artist and, um, majority of the time he's based out of Oakland, California, where he is a full-time bender as well as an assistant to Meryl Padaki, who is an awesome, uh, neon artist, but COVID put him back home in New Jersey so at least he gets those good uh those good color changing leaves right 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 consolation price um but he'll be back soon to Oakland anyway enjoy this episode with him and also I want to talk to you guys about something new and exciting Mel and I have spoken and the verdict is that we are going to start monetizing. Ooh, girl. We're going to start monetizing. We're going to make money. <laughs> or at least that's what the goal is. Um, why are we going to monetize? That's a great question. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, we're going to monetize because we want to secure a future and follow our dreams in what we're doing. Um, I think that... It's always been a dream of mine, even, I mean, since I started podcasting, but also since I've just started realizing that my future is with human connection, I've always wanted to make my living off of connecting with humans and discovering how people live their lives. And this is definitely, so far, the most fun and inclusive way that I've been able to do it. And I want to just keep doing it. So... We're going to start with, well, I guess I should also say, and, and when you, when we monetize the podcast, we're also going to be monetizing the magazine, which is Mel's dream. Um, I should say it's it's also a dream of mine to be a part of this collective, but the podcast is, it speaks, it speaks to my inner self and the magazine speaks to my outer self, I guess I should say, um, the whole brand though is totally me, but for Mel, I don't want to speak for her. I don't want to project these ideas, but I know that just creating a space where, where we can all share our thoughts, ideas, and just create a community of inclusivity and diversity is something that she has in her future. It's something that she definitely is dreaming about and just a way for her to be able to share her art and and create a space where we can all share our art 
and, you know, not be judged by how many likes we have or, you know, not have to have a certain amount of followers to be able to post something just like a place or, or, or like fucking jump through hoops of trying to get our art in like galleries or blah, 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 blah. It's just a lot. Like we just want to be able to put our art out there just for whatever reason. So these are our dreams. This is what we're trying to build. And this is why we want, want to monetize. So one way that we're going to be doing that is by, well, personally back to the podcast. Um, I'm going to be accepting sponsorships. Now I have, I have opinions about sponsorships. Um, I could make this shorter. I could make this long. I'm going to go somewhere in the middle. Ha ha. So I, as you may know, because I've talked about it multiple times, I am an avid longboarder and the type of longboarding that I do, it's pretty, it's pretty small. Uh, there are, I mean, there, the community is pretty small. There aren't too many people that do it. So it's kind of easy to, to get a leg up. You just have to practice and I do it. I do it because I love it and I feel like it's one of the only ways that I'm actually able to move my body. Um, you know, some people do it on the dance floor. Some people do it in a specific sport. Some people do gymnastics. I mean, that is a specific sport. Anyway, I do it through longboard dancing and freestyle. And there are so many people that I look up to and want to be like in the sport and they are sponsored and they have some small bit of fame and I don't want to do it for the sponsorships or the fame. I just want to do it to be a part of a community because when you're, when you're striving for something, the community is what builds you up, which is what we're doing here. And I, I feel as though I've never really been a part of a community. I've, I've been able to glimpse the longboarding communities, but I've never been able to be in one of my own. So, you know, I wanted to, a long time ago, I wanted to kind of seek out sponsorships or get better, find like a videographer and shit with video to showcase my talents. But, you know, I gave, I gave all that up and I didn't want to do it because it just felt like I was chasing something. And what I, what I love to do, what my body was loving had turned more into a job or like was turning more into a job that I didn't want to have. So that's what I, that's something that I don't want to do with these sponsorships. You know, like I don't want to, I don't want to have to have a certain amount of followers because you guys are all amazing in your own right. And you listen because you want to, I'm not fishing for anything. If you don't want to listen, don't fucking listen. And if you do, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to me drone on and talk to really interesting people. We all appreciate it and being a part of this, you know, so I don't, I'm not going to fish for sponsorships. I'm not going to fish for listeners. I am going to hopefully meet with companies or brands, collectives that I believe in, and they will be the ones that hopefully we can receive sponsorship from. Um, I'm going to do all of the ads in the, in this little intro. So if you want to just skip this whole thing and get to the meat and potatoes, go, go for it. Boy, go for it. Person, go for it. Honey, go for it. Um, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully I'll be finding some sponsors soon. We'll also be, um, accepting donations on our website, which we'll be also dropping soon. We don't have that 
yet, but that's, you know, that also costs money. So that would be part of the monetization thing. We just want to become a sustainable, wonderful thing. And, uh, we, Mel and I can put as much money into it as we want, but we won't be able to focus on the podcast or I'm sorry. We won't be able to focus, focus, fuck, hocus, pocus, majocus, rocus. I'm gonna sling you pocus. Anyway, I don't care what I was saying. Basically, if you do decide to donate or if we do get sponsorships, we have a a list that we are going to be creating or that we've already created that will be our monetization prioritization. And first and foremost, we're going to get some podcasting equipment because honey girl, it sounds it could use the upgrade is all I'm saying. We could use the upgrade. Uh, yeah, we could use the upgrade. So that is first and foremost what we will be spending on and learning more about for sure. And then we'll we'll split between the podcast and the magazine. We're gonna be we're gonna be splitting and and really you know kind of trying to focus on what needs to be prioritized. Um, but yeah, definitely podcasting equipment. It seems as though all of my remote podcasts get a little junky at first. This episode was so good. And then when we came back for that second segment, it it did this silly little thing. And I mean, I don't know why I didn't do anything different. I just pressed record for a second time and then it decided that it had a brain of its own. So we're going to hopefully transition away from remote podcasting. Hopefully in the future, we'll be making enough moolah cash money baby to to go around and actually have these in-person interviews. Yeah, that's a that's pretty low on the prioritization list. Uh, equipment is number one. But anyway, not only will the monetizing of our collective help with the collective itself but it also will just be helping Mel and I at the very end of the day this is Mel and I's passion project this is what we want to do for our whole lives I've already spoken a bit about my interests and we've had Mel on the podcast and she's been able to speak about hers but You know, we could spend every single day of our lives working on somebody else's dream or we can work on our own dreams and that's what we're doing. And, you know, you got to sacrifice some things at first to hopefully get to where you want to be in the future. And also hopefully that future is around the corner. So that's what we're doing. And we hope you guys can be with us throughout this whole thing. So if you're here now, thank you. If you're here in the future, thank you. If you're my mom, thank you. (laughs) Um, Speaking of my mom, we're still accepting all kinds of content for the first issue of the magazine. You can send your content to skatetopless at gmail.com. I'm also, I have been reaching out to local musicians to get some intro. I'm sorry, not intro. To get some, what am I trying to say? To get their music on the podcast. That's what I'm trying to say. 
I have reached out to a couple of local artists from the Kent area and they have agreed and are very enthusiastic about sending in their content. So I'm very excited to get that to you guys. But one more episode we have for you today of Mel's, no, I'm sorry, Nopacetic, I'm the same person if you didn't realize, Nopacetic's beautiful voice production instrument music all wrapped up into one beautiful little song here today we have sink or swim by nopacetic leading us right into our conversation about neon with adam taylor i fucking think that's all thank you for listening how long did this take for me to yap here oh 12 minutes baby that's too long i'll cut it next time but enjoy bye Sorry, I don't have that much to say Seems like I've been letting life get in the way Didn't ignore your calls Yes, I got all of them This is the time in life You let the world decide if I nitty-gritty let's talk about the terminology of it because sure neon i feel like is a noun and a verb and maybe even an adjective so like let's talk about what neon is go okay well first neon is the general term used for all the lights filled with gases um bent glass 
tubes filled with the gases um, that a lot of businesses use as lights. But that's all just from the noble gas neon from the elemental chart. That's, I, I would say, the most primary gas used in making all of these. Um, so, yeah. And then the name has just carried over as kind of the general term. Um, so that's it's just used to describe all the signs above, no matter what kind of gas is in it. Okay, so that's shit like argon. Yeah. I don't know what else. I don't know what else is it, honestly. Argon, krypton, xenon, helium, and radon. And then, of course, neon are all the noble gases. And they can all be used for neon lights. It's just neon is the most predominant and gives the brightest light. So that's why it's super common and uh, kind of the go-to for the names. The one... Okay, so then what is bending? So bending is just... Um, so for your sign or whatever characters or word it says, um, bending is the verb used to describe... Uh, heating up and bending the glass tube to create those forms for the sign. Okay. And then the tubes are just the piece of glass, mm -hmm. the hollow piece of glass. I don't know if we're going to be talking about it, but um, bombarding, just like a quick mm. thing on bombarding. Yeah. A little complicated, but bombarding is the process of cleaning out your bent tube, um, vacuuming out all air, dust, any impurities inside, um, getting a clean vacuum, and then putting the gas back in, the neon, argon, whatever it may be, so that's just isolated in the tube once it's sealed off and that's how it lights up so bombarding okay. is the yeah the whole process of doing that to actually get the tube to light after it's bent do we need to know about torches or burners or is that not really necessary i don't think so i think it's kind of self-explanatory um you know there's different torches that just give you different flames um yeah, but the details aren't super important. And, um, yeah, you get the idea of a torch, flame shoots out, you can heat up the glass, and then that's the part of the glass you bend. So, yeah, I think we're good there. All right, cool. So why don't we catapult into the history of neon, which is pretty pretty recent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the 20th century, so... It just had its 100th year anniversary a couple of years ago, 2012. Ooh. Congratulations. So, oh, yeah. So, it, yeah, it really hasn't been along for all that long. But, um, sure, where should we start with the history? Let's start at the beginning since it's only 100 years. So, what, 1912, right after Titanic? Yeah. 
<laughs> it's a great time. Great time to come out with it. Yeah, it's um I guess the basics are um there was an inventor. Um a lot of the early history of neon um all happens in France, so you might be able to help me with some names and such. <laughs> No, I want to hear you do them. Don't worry about me. <laughs> well, the one credit for inventing neon as we know it is Georges Claude. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. That was that was great. That was great. But no, not Georges Claude, uh, 1912. <laughs> um, he was actually trying to. Um, mess around um inventing things for the military as far as like submarines and airplanes and playing around with um kind of just like early oxygen tanks um so then some of the byproducts from these oxygen experiments he was doing um were all the noble gases used for neon today um because they're all in the atmosphere just naturally so with these byproducts he um uh started experimenting putting neon into glass tubes and i love you, <laughs> I love you too mom <laughs> say you love your mother good night all right now what um, All right, what did he do after he found the fucking noble gas? <laughs> um, so basically, he had neon isolated in a tube, and um, he wasn't the first one to discover it, but definitely the first one to play with it. Um, discovered the red light that's given off um, from the neon gas when there's a charge added to it. And started to play with tube diameter and tube length as, because that affects the brightness um, of the light given off. And basically just created a neon tube and then started to play with all the other noble gases. And that's how we know that they all give off this different colored light when uh, a charge is added to it. So something we forgot to define was electrons, electrodes, electrodes. Yeah, electrodes. And um, transformers. <laughs> we yes, didn't do those. And transformers. Um, yeah, which he subsequently invented both to work with his new neon lights. Um, so he invented the electrode, which is... Uh, in simplest terms, the cap that goes on the end of the tube and it's made out of glass and has two wires coming off of it. So one is on each end of the tube and that is how you connect your positive and negative current to add an electric charge to the tube to get it to light up. And that's, can, it can only glow due to the positive and negative charge. Yes. Got it. 
But it can also only glow due to the transformer. Yes. And so connecting to each electrode are the two leads coming out of a transformer. And the reason it's a transformer instead of just a regular old power source is because it takes... Mm, I don't want to get backwards. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It takes... It converts high amperage to high voltage and low amperage. And this is going to get complicated (laughs) the more I talk about it. So basically, there's a lot of volt... Or no, there's a lot of amps coming out of your like regular old house outlets. Um, Just a normal plug. So basically what a transformer does is when you plug it into a regular old outlet, it takes low amperage and in the transformer transforms it to high voltage. So neons lit with high, a lot of volts, but using very little amps. And amps are what we measure electricity by. It's amps are the danger factor. Amps are you know, basically what your electric bill um, is judged off of. So that's one of the reasons neon is actually pretty efficient is because even though it has high voltage, it uses low amperage, which um, a kind of average medium-sized transformer will use uh, less electricity than uh, a hair curler, a hair dryer, you know, microwave and iron, your vacuum, most regular old household appliances. That's surprising. Yeah. But it's, it's the transformer itself is a box. And mm-hmm. on one end of the box, there is a wire that plugs into the wall. Yep. And then on the other end, are there two wires, a positive and a negative, that plug into each electrode on your sign yes okay yeah so it's just two so two leads or wires coming out of the other side of the box of the transformer and eat one goes on each electrode to basically just create a uh full circuit yeah full circuit yeah sealed current so that's how it lights up and he, Georges Claude, he created the electrodes, transformer, and the noble gases. Well, to an extent, um, the electrodes existed before him, <laughs> but he invented a specific type of electrode or like a newer version of an electrode that basically lasted a lot longer. So earlier electrodes um, that he used very early on would burn out super quickly and um, just erode. Um, So he invented a newer type of electrode that had more longevity and, you know, make can be used for the light to last, you know, decades at a time now. 
So that was a really important thing. And as far as the Neon Transformer, um, I don't know for sure, but if I had to guess, and I am pretty confident in saying this, I would say he didn't invent the Transformer. Like that concept of uh, amperage to high voltage um, to run the sign, I don't think he invented the Transformer. That's how like our electricity was already set up. Uh, like the infrastructure of our whole country uses the technology of transformers. But as far as just on his scale for neons, he probably made one specifically for that, but didn't, you know, invent the transformer. Just innovated it for his own purposes. Yeah. Okay. Was he, was he doing any bending? Was he a sinist? Um, he could, uh, Early on, he was just doing straight tubes of different sizes and lengths um, as just spectacles at, like, amusement parks and on the streets and in theaters. Um, just as, like, um, a self-promotion type of tactic and also just, um, yeah, just a wow factor. Just, like, going around performing as a spectacle that he was, like, um, you know this isn't how he promoted himself, but it had this kind of, um, feeling as like, uh, you know, he was a magician, um, so just because no did, one's ever seen it before. Did the gases change the color in the tube? And that was like the cool, amazing thing. Um, it was more so just the tubes lit up in general in these different colors um with the effect that like neon light has which is different than any other light that was around back then you know all they really had were the very early light bulbs um all filament then and um quite bright and um what's the word i'm looking for like almost hurts the eyes to look at Edison bulbs yeah i mean they were Edison bulbs but just harsh on the eyes so then basically he had these weird glass tubes and shapes different sizes lighting up with different colors ranging from like a bright bright red to argon which is a violet to helium which is like a yellowish to krypton which is white so all these ranges of light that never existed before so he basically just made a wow factor of this cool thing that he had invented. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then where did it go after that? Well, this is where it gets kind of interesting. Um, he was not a great person. Um, <laughs> okay. So he, he, he really wanted a monopoly over Neon. Um, he had his own Neon company and it did have some global success, especially early on, um, because he didn't really share his resources. He didn't really share the knowledge. Um, you know, as the years went on, um, I mean, like within the, you know, the 20s and the 30s, Neon was being made other places, but everyone had to use his electrodes 
and as far as the actual making went, just figure kind of out on their own. He really wanted to control every aspect of Neon. He was a huge narcissist, just wanted to patent every uh, side of Neon. And then when the 30s rolled around and World War II started in Europe, he came out as a Nazi sympathizer. Oh, shit. Yeah. So gave a lot of, um, (laughs) through his own kind of uh, will and desire, started to give speeches in France about how they have to welcome Germany and welcome Nazi Germany into France and cooperate and collaborate with them. And he, yeah, he was just not really a great person. Um, tried to run for office, um, I think in parliament back in the day and used his lights as like a campaign tactic. And at that time, still no one else had, had tried to do neon. No, it was, it was around, it was well known. It's not like he was still the only person he wasn't the only person in the world that like had the formula, but he definitely like really tried to own that as his thing. Um, and just kind of rode that wave for as long as he could. Um, after, after the war ended, I'll just wrap up on him. After the war ended, uh, he was arrested for, basically supporting Nazi Germany uh, in France during the occupation. He was arrested, sentenced for life, eventually was released in 1950 at the age of 79, and yeah, basically died despised and semi-forgotten. So he doesn't really have a great story. But, (laughs) yeah, to all neon in the world today, we all have to that that guy's our founder and it's just the way it is but you're not a nazi sympathizer are you uh no (laughs) you've been known to love jewish people you're funny (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i don't quite follow his footsteps there no all right cool so what came after him how did how did other people find Uh, his home y'all so he so um when he first created Neon in 1912, um, it was in the same year where it was actually his friend. Um, oh, God. All right, ready? Uh, Hit it. Jacques, Jacques Fonsequet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just say it right. I don't know the last one, but it's just Jacques. Oh. Any, like, E-S. I mean, not any. Anyway, it's just Jacques. And then, how do you spell the last one? Uh, F-O-N-S-E-Q-U-E. Wait, hold on, let me spell it. F-O-N-S-E-Q-U-E. Fonsec. Fonsec. Jacques Fonsec. Yeah. Yeah. Fonsec. Fonsecure. It sounds good enough. He's not a huge, important (laughs) player, um, but that is the name. And he was a friend of Claude's. And he was the first to market the tubes as letters slash symbols for advertising. 
So he was the first to actually use neon as we know it today. He was in charge of marketing it. Uh, I would. I don't know about. Did you not just say that? Is that not what you just said? Okay, I I wouldn't say. I wouldn't give him the title, you know, head of marketing. Got um, it. But he is just the one who I guess bent, um, bent tubes for advertising as far as realizing the potential um, of making words out of these tubes. Okay. Um, and that's where we get the term sinist, right? Sign bender? Yeah. Sign bender? Yeah. yeah. My bad. Sign bender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in 1912, the first business in history to have a neon sign was this small um, barbershop in Paris called Palais Coffier. <laughs> nice. Good <laughs> shit. Thank you, thank you. And yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. And this is where it's like not really a big secret. Like he wasn't the only one that held the key. Well, definitely in France this early on. His company was the only one making neon. But, you know, as the years went on, it wasn't as much a spectacle as it first was because they just littered the city within a few years. I mean, Paris is the city of lights, and uh, I, I think this is kind of part of the reason it was invented in Paris. And by 1913, the first roof sign, you know, was up in huge letters in Paris. And then within the next year, there was 160 signs. And then in 1927, there were over 6,000 neon signs in Paris. In just a few years, it just kind of blew up. And that kind of goes for every city across Europe and then the world. Boom. So when Boom. did it come to the U.S.? Um, around the same time. Um, I would say early 20s. It was definitely in the U.S. by then. I don't know the exact year. Or the exact, you know, what the exact first sign was. But definitely uh, 1920s. And, yeah, I mean, it blew up crazy in the United States as well. That kind of comes from uh, when it got here, we were headed into the Depression. One... It was new. It was exciting. It was a spectacle. And it was fairly cheap. And they're extremely bright and effective. So for our country that was about to head into the Depression, you had a lot of struggling businesses that immediately took on this fairly cheap and effective form of advertising so that's part of the reason it blew up you know at the um, 1933 was the end of prohibition so then that's also another reason neon blew up all the beer signs that's kind of known for today 
definitely had an explosion during that period. So yeah, there's just all these little moments of time where at least back then it was the right right time for Neon to come around. And, and art really wasn't considered during any of this. No. No. Not at all. Do you know when that started becoming a thing? Mm, the 80s. Late 70s, early 80s. Um, it was going on. Oh, I'm going to mess it up. They, what was it called? The, like, California sculpture movement. It was just basically a boom um, of modern art and abstract art, sculpture, multimedia, all these different forms and mediums that, and it was mostly in California, that artists started to work with in the 80s. And neon was just starting to get used around that time. I'm going to find it. Hmm. Um, this isn't exactly what I was thinking of, but um, the light and space movement. Um, ah, yes, of course. Artists in the 60s and 70s um, using light manipulations to play with the viewer's visual perception. So that's a little bit of it. Um, like James Terrell comes out of that. And James Terrell is... Not a neon artist, so we'll <laughs> let him be. Just, but just, just a light artist. Just a, just a light artist. Yeah. But yeah, it wasn't... So it wasn't until late um, in the 20th century that started to be used for art. When did it start becoming um, offered at universities? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, <laughs> kind of not until the 80s. And it was still barely, if that. It hasn't really changed much as far as we know it today. There's never really been more than you know, five schools at once that had neon being taught. In the U.S.? Um, really anywhere. Oh. What school or which schools were the first to take it on? Well, there was <laughs> the first one um, was called Eddie's Glass and Neon Institute and it was in New York City. That sounds legit. And, yeah, Eddie's. All Eddie's. And it was really a -a one-of-a-kind place where it was just neon being taught. And this was back in the 30s. Um, So it didn't last. It's not around today. Um, But generations of vendors did come out of there. Um, But then... Besides that, as far as more academic universities or anything along those lines, um, it was Fred Sheeta who set a lot of it up. And 
He's the one that set up the shop at Alfred. Uh, he did bring it to Kent for a short spell. A second there, yep. Yeah. It went to a handful of schools around Ohio, New York, Pennsylvania, um, except, you know, he would come and set up the shop and then leave. And then the shop would just go under because no one really had an extensive enough knowledge to keep it going, uh, what to get to keep it going, how to fix things, how to do it. So everything just kind of got, it came and went. And the only reason Alfred's program has stayed so strong is because that was where he taught full time. So because he stayed there, our shop stayed with him. So what does neon look like today if it's not just sign bending and there's only a handful of schools that offer it? Good question. I mean, it's always changing. Um, it's still extremely sign heavy and I don't think it will ever change. Um, but that's the bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah. It'll always be used as a message, a way to get a message across first and foremost. But it is used instead of for, you know, um, instead of advertising messages or business messages and things super straightforward to just get business and customers and, um, to get people to recognize your company, your brand, I think Neon's a lot more personal now. I think people are creating their own messages. So to just say whatever they want to say in lights and illuminate a message. And this is kind of anyone who uses text in art comes into play with neon today and um it's also used a lot more sculpturally um creating more 3d 3d what's the word i mean not models sculptures and anything of the such i mean the uh, the possibilities are really limitless with the stuff um it is glass so it can't break and there's only so much electricity you can get to power something. But besides that, it's um, it's actually pretty incredible what could be made out of it. So, what's the coolest thing that you think you've seen thus far in neon? Hmm, it's a good question. Um. Honestly, it's kind of old school, but I think that's why it's really impressive too, is um, huge old theaters, and they have their whole, um, that whole marquee uh, basically going, and it's animated, so some tubes are on, some tubes are off, and it's flickering on and up, upside down letters going one at a time so basically that whole 
animation that goes with the signs um, and just the scale of them on some of these old theaters are so impressive and it's all stuff that's been done I mean a lot of them have been refurbished and um, redone repaired but when they were originally there they were still able to do it like a hundred years ago and that's pretty crazy has the technology innovated much since then or is it pretty much all the same stuff it's basically all the same stuff i mean there's nicer stuff but it's the same stuff <laughs> yeah do you think there's going to be much much innovation in it or do you think you know if it ain't broke why fix it mm, i don't think there's going to be much innovation um, at some point, new things will have to be made, but I think it would just, like I kind of said before, like, it would just be new stuff made of the old stuff. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Like, eventually, like, new torch heads would have to be made, but they're not going to redesign or figure out nicer torch heads. It's probably just going to be the same exact thing just remade yeah it's uh all fairly simple stuff so i mean i don't know how the hell they anyone would improve it but we'll see neon's also just so low-key i don't think anyone's thinking about that <laughs> <laughs> anyone who's really got that inventor brain um yeah i don't think they're looking towards neon but wouldn't you think it would be the neon artist that would be the one who would innovate these things? You would think so, but it's hard. It's hard. I'm sure there's someone out there that could do it. I mean, I'm just speaking for myself that I know I don't have the brain for it as far as just to invent something new, to figure out a better way to vacuum out imp molecular impurities from a tube to then put in this vacuum gas. I, it's mm -mm. the chemistry, the science. Not for you. <laughs> it's not there for me. The it's not for you, bud. The engineering. Mm -mm. So what got you into it if it wasn't all of that good stuff? I really like the process. Um, the lights are gorgeous. It's, um, one of a kind lighting. It's really, I think, addicting. Um. What, bending? I mean, just the lights in general. Um, it's, humans are kind of like moths to neon, in a way. Um. But, all that being said, um, way less than the actual lights, I like the bending, the process. Um, that's what I'm definitely obsessed with, is having a pattern and being able to bend to it and just being good in the torches and having that skill that... I know it's kind of 
um, uncommon. Far and few in between. Few and far in between. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> I have to think about it every time I say it. You mentioned a pattern. What do you mean by that? So to make a sign, um, you have to have a pattern to go off of. So whatever your sign is going to say, whatever the image in neon is going to be, has to be on or in front of you for you to go off of. And then it also has to be flipped over so that when you're bending on top of it and the tubes touching the paper, eventually when the sign hangs up, you know, it's getting flipped around. So that's the whole reason for flipping the pattern is that the sign gets flipped again when it goes up. And so that actually reads the right way. So that's what the pattern is. And um, it's kind of done in this own little kind of neon language as far as um, different marks and ways to draw things that make sense for what bend you have to do and how to actually create, you know, um, curves or stops or, uh, or breaks in your image since it's all just one continuous line of glass. So there's just, but it's, go ahead. Go sorry, ahead. sorry, but it's, it's on at least, well, I shouldn't say at least, but like it can be on two different planes and stuff because it's one tube of glass, but if it crosses over at any point, you have to go back. You have to like move the, the tube of glass down so that it can move around the pre the already existing piece of glass. What are those called? Back bends? Yeah. Yeah. Can I explain that? I feel like I explained that stupid. <laughs> no, no, you explained it. All right. Just a little <laughs> confusing. Yeah, so basically, it's just because it's a continuous line. Um, and, you know, you just got... It's kind of like um, if you were to write a word, but you can't take your pencil off the paper. Um, that's kind of the best analogy I could think of as far as how you... But in 3D. Have, yes, but then in 3D. So, you know... Um, How's it going to cross this letter that's already there? What's going to be above? What's going to be behind? What's going to make it read the best? Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to think about and consider when making something. Um, and that all just goes into planning a good pattern. So it all starts with the pattern, eh? Mm-hmm. Okay, so how did you, though, get... How did you find it? How did you stumble upon this? I took it my junior year of college. Um, and it was kind of just... Uh, um, I didn't know it was going to be my forever thing. But it was a junior level course. I just wanted to try it. Get into it see what it's all about 
um, basically just kind of did it because it was there. And when else are you going to get an opportunity? And just immediately became obsessed and left everything else behind. Everything else as in? As in other um, mediums and studios that I had during school at the time. So um, I remember I was taking, with my Intro to Neon class, I was taking an advanced printmaking class. And basically after the first week of classes and the first week of Neon, I... Uh, barely made any prints for the rest of the semester. It was just absolutely out of my mind. Um, it just goes with all my other studios. Um, Neon's a one-time-of-year class, and I even um, got an independent study so I could stay in there the next semester. So then the two actual real studios I had during that independent study were just out of the picture, did the bare minimum to get by them, um, was definitely not, uh, didn't have my heart in those classes and didn't create much work. Because um, I just thought about Neon all the time and just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked until I would get good at it. I was just obsessed with being able to do it efficiently. And would you say that you've reached that point? I'm, I think I'm reaching that point. Um, <laughs> if it's a, a mountain I'm climbing, I think I got my fingertips on the ledge I have to pull myself up to. Um, and it's definitely a, um, a good point to be, but that ledge is still probably only a quarter way up. Um, so yeah, it's something you can always get better at. It's like any other trade or, um, you know, craft skill. Well, you're fairly new to it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've only been doing it for three years, which is nothing. Yeah. I'm surprised, honestly. You're very good at what you do for I've only having done it for three years yeah thank you yeah it's um hmm. <laughs> i don't know it's funny i can't it, it's it's definitely consumed me yeah and i just gotta keep getting better it's um so yeah three years in who knows how many more to go but we'll still definitely obsessed with it as much as uh, when I started. Yeah, and you're lucky to have gotten the position that you're in right now, or not currently, but... Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Just got a full-time neon-bending job. So excited to work in that sign shop. And actually get some good, good experience. But even before that. Oh. You. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm going way back until like your first your first um experience with it outside of the university setting. Like that you're so lucky to have even just gotten that position, let alone 
what you just got. Yeah. Um, Meryl Pataki, trailblazer and neon. Amazing artist. She, yeah, gave me a chance to come out to California and be her studio assistant. And, yeah, take the chance on me and give me as much work as she could and teach me everything she could. And I still got a lot to learn. I'm sure she still has a lot to teach. But we've had a good run together so far. And, yeah, as soon as um, I get back out there, I know we're just going to pick up where we left off, so to speak. She's an amazing... um, mentor and why aren't you out there now because covid where are you now oh uh i am currently um at home where i'm from in new jersey back in my mom's apartment with her um (laughs) so just a short financial break when everything was a lot more up in the air, it seemed like the best thing to do financially and um, until, I don't know, at least we knew where the future was headed with Corona and um, being unemployed and financially just kind of played it safe. So I'm, that's where I'm at right now, but I just got an apartment in Oakland today. You did! Congratulations! Thank you. So, yeah, I'll probably be back there by the end of October, um, November 1st, to move in. So that's when you're going to start at the new sign shop. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's when you're going to go back to Merrill as well. Yes. Wow, so you took a pause from Neon... And it starts back up again in November. That's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just happy to, um, yeah, actually get the chance to uh, go back. Okay. So to flip it back to the actual neon industry real quick, not only has the idea of it being just signs to art not only has that innovated but also just like the concept behind being a neon artist has changed hasn't it um what do you mean i'm just trying to like segue into the she bends (laughs) (laughs) i was trying to do it really smooth and i guess i missed the mark on that one okay i see where you're going um (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, So Meryl, the artist um, I was working for in California, she's the founder of this group of artists called She Bends. And so they're all women neon benders and neon artists. Um, Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, And they're just a collective of women to uh, promote themselves and neon is historically a male dominated field. So it's just a wonderful platform um, to let them get their messages and their art out there. And you were assisting her during this past year's She Bends show. Uh Uh-huh. Well, 
Yeah. Yeah. So the last show they had was in Colorado. I <laughs> really didn't have all too much to do with that. Um, it was at the Loveland Museum. But yeah, all the artists um, shipped their work out from their own studios to the museum. And then the Loveland Museum is a pretty big place and they have their own team of um, preparators and art handlers to receive and install all the work so it's not like I had to do any of that and um, no it was a really good show but yeah didn't have too much uh, wasn't too much help for that one but it was a very good experience just to be able to see just how many artists were in it and listen to Meryl talk about it and yeah a lot of good information coming out of that did you ever feel as though you wanted to be a part of it I mean your your um, peer from college she had work in there you guys graduated at the same time didn't you yeah yeah, we graduated at the same year. Well, she hasn't graduated. Um, I won't give her a whole life story, but she's still there doing a double major. Um, but yeah, she was watched the build up, and she joined She Bends for this last show, and Meryl had one of her pieces in it. Yeah, it was very exciting. Um, yeah, of course I would like to be in it, but that's okay. It's um it's not about me. It's not my time. So it's okay. I I don't mind the behind the scenes or um a more hands off approach. Whatever is the best way to describe it. Yeah. Fine by me. So how do you do your work? <laughs> How do you get your work out there if it's not through collectives? I am still trying to figure that out. Um, maybe a whole lot of self-promotion, um, some good social media content, a good website to back yourself up. And then um, people love neon. And if it's good and exciting, it kind of spreads like wildfire. So, you know, I haven't lived it experienced it still kind of asking myself those questions as far as um how do you get your art seen so i don't really know it's a good question i remember one time you and i were having a conversation about your wants as an adult and they were like very nuclear family wants you know you you want a house and you want kids and you're questioning if you can be financially stable with that as a neon artist have you thought any more about that um <laughs> yeah yeah i do think about it um being a neon bender isn't a really lucrative career it's exciting and different and got a little flair to it but at the end of the day it's still just a blue collar job um 
it's still just a craft skill that um, takes a lot of work to get good at, um, a lot to do well, and doesn't really have a huge payoff. Um, the neon industry is so small and far and few in between. There's no like a neon bender union to ensure, you know, good wages, retirement plans, safe environments, nothing like that. Not that the environment is super unsafe. There are unsafe things about it, but if you're a good business, you're going to be responsible, responsible about those things. But just, yeah, so there isn't a huge payoff as far as financially, you know, long-term retirement type plan money um, if you're a neon vendor. So yeah, I still think about that, but I'm young right now. Uh, I love the work. I have the energy to do the work, so I'm going to go ahead and do just that. But yeah, I don't know. Um, as far as family and nuclear wants, uh, I don't know. Things could always change, but um, I'm a little on the fence about all that now. On the fence about which part? Uh, just having a family, kids. Um, yeah, I don't know. Might not be in store at this point. But like I said, things always change. Um, I guess we'll just see where the future goes and what feels right. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Not feeling so hot about all that anymore. Could imagine. I couldn't imagine being a parent right now during all this bullshit. So I could see why you would you would have changed your mind. Yeah. Um, also, on the same note, I remember you talking about should you continue with your career in neon, um, potentially being like a professor or starting a neon studio at a university. Possibly. Um... I would like to give more people the option of experimenting with it. Um, I'm really grateful for my school's NEON program and just knowing that, you know, there's three schools in the country that have that access to it, including us. Um, and us is who? I don't oh, know if you mentioned. Alfred University for all you good listeners. Um, <laughs> But yeah, maybe starting up a program, doing a little something like Fred Sheeta did, but um, really fostering it and nurturing it and building it up and making it almost, um, you know, I do want to stay and I would want to stay and teach there, but make sure that it it is kind of self-reliant, that... uh it won't fall apart when I'm eventually gone or retired or who knows this is so in the future hypothetical, but yeah, I think that would be a good way to go with it just cause you know, being a full-time neon bender is a lot of work and I don't know if I want that to be my life work. Um, I always want to have access to it, 
whether it be a home studio or access to a school studio I start up. But at a certain point, I want to do things on my own time, at my own speed. Sign bending is very high quality, high production, very fast turnover. So, I mean, I keep saying this, but like other blue collar jobs, um, you can only go for as long as your body allows you to. Yeah. So, as well as neon, are you a are you a light bulb connoisseur? I I, I wish I was. <laughs> not not as much as I would like to be. No one has ever said that before. <laughs> but I do love a good light bulb, and I miss my good light bulbs. Um, just really. Are they in storage back in California? Yeah, they're in storage, but just really funky, funky lights, funky filaments, funky shapes, and all hand-blown, and just mm, good light bulbs. No halogen LEDs. I like to see that uh, filament twist and turn. (laughs) Yum. I know. Yummy. So ridiculous. (laughs) What is what is the attraction to it? Where does that stem from? Do you have any idea? Mm-mm. No. No idea. It's definitely after Neon. This hasn't been a lifelong thing. I think just after taking Neon and studying light, not just Neon light, but fluorescent, all lighting, what lighting means to the eye, and how it messes with perception. Just really appreciating light quality a lot more and really trying to notice it. So as far as just the brightness, the warmth, how different colors play with the objects that they're hitting and change those colors and just, uh, I mean, it's, it's all attached to neon but it's also just you know exists within the shades up in your room or the light bulb you screw into your lamp and just loving everything that comes out of those so yeah string lighting is really big right now (laughs) it's like huge i know you're a fan of the string lights i just like string lights because i can't afford neon (laughs) I'd I'd have everything lit with neon if I could. What's the pink? It's argon, right? That's pink. Uh, argon mercury. Argon mercury. That's that's my fucking thing. I love my favorite color is like, like fluorescent fuchsia. Oh yeah, that is just mercury. Yeah, just oh, is it just plain mercury? old mercury? Is a fuchsia. Oh, well, damn. Yeah, super soft light. Yeah, that's my very. Very satisfying. So how how does the lay person get involved with neon? That's very tough. Um, it's a master apprentice field. Um, you have to find someone willing to teach you. 
willing to take you on and it's very hard because neon's really not that lucrative so i mean unless you're able to do it for free it's also kind of hard to find that like paid apprenticeship in neon because a lot of neon vendors even if you're there working for them in the studio they can't afford to pay you for your work through your whole learning curve because through that learning curve you're not really doing all that much work for the first six months you are probably just learning and then also going through materials to learn so it's expensive for the master who you work under and it's also expensive for yourself um, if you can afford that free position it's are there any places that like offer classes yeah. I mean it's yeah. like not not if you just want to like boom make it your yeah, career that's, that was the second thing I was going to say if you don't do all that there are workshops and classes and there are places that rent bent time but again that gets expensive pretty fast um for a two-day workshop you know you might have to pay a thousand dollars so that's a decent chunk of change um to just try something out to see if you like it for the first time. Yeah, it's kind of an expensive thing for just like, I want to have a fun afternoon trying something new. Um, well, it's also pretty expensive to own a neon well, sign, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, it is... has gotten a lot more expensive than it originally was um original like when i say originally i mean back in the early 1900s it was the cheap way to go for advertising now i mean maybe it works out with inflation but now it's a couple hundred bucks for a medium sign i mean that's like you know, holding your hands up shoulder to shoulder. Um, you know, seven or six letters in a word type of sign. Um, it, it It's hard to all just break down in words like super quickly on a podcast because there is a lot that goes into the costs for making a neon sign. It's the gas, the glass the materials, the time that it takes to make a pattern, the time it takes to bend that actual pattern, the material and time to bombard it. If you're doing install, if you have to do packaging and shipping, um, after everything, it does get up there a ways, but if you're a business, I think it's worth it. Um, definitely pays for itself in the you know who knows how many years you're going to have that up if it's a personal thing um it's an expensive gift to get yourself but 
I think you would love it. I think Neon looks great in a home. And, um, yeah. I mean, of course I'm super biased. I think Neon is 100% worth the cost. The alternatives are just all LED plastic crap that tries to replicate it. And, uh, one fails, and two is cheaper, but you're paying for plastic crap that's gonna break in a couple months to a year. I'm glad you brought that up, because I was gonna ask you about the fake neon trend, which seems to be huge right yeah, now. Yeah, it's just... It's, it's, it's really quite ridiculous. Um, there's a couple different companies... There's a handful of them that just have this fake what don't what's mostly frustrating about it is that they just advertise as neon and it's not neon and if you're an uninformed shopper you uh, it, it's really quite bad to confuse the two um because there are huge huge differences between them um but this fake LED neon is just, uh, so it imitates the look of a tube. Um, it's just a plastic strand of LEDs, and um, it usually sits right into a base, um, which is how you can tell it's all fake. And it's a lot cheaper. A lot of them go for maybe 100 200 bucks. I've seen some sign sites you can personalize it. A lot of them are like the little desk palm trees or pineapples or flamingos to like put up into your dorm or apartment or on your desk. But uh, they're just, they look, oh, they look so bad. And they're just cheap and all the companies are kind of sleazy and just tell you you're getting neon, call their stuff neon, and it's just cheap stuff made overseas that they'll that they drop ship to you and they're usually just as far as I know, <laughs> as far as the faces that have been exposed behind these websites in the neon community, they're just rich white guys that just are behind the website and then you put in your order and they send your order to China and then have China ship it straight to you. So they're just kind of sitting back collecting the money and selling you cheap shitty knockoffs that are going to break, just end up in a landfill are not as energy efficient as neon and look a hell of a lot worse. So just all around bad product. Don't recommend zero stars. <laughs> like negative uh -uh. seven yeah. stars. Bad idea. Yeah. It's just, uh, just, <laughs> I don't know, really upsetting to see. Cause it's not like neon's a booming industry either so kind of uh all that misinformation all that kind of false advertising it just uh 
it does have an effect when real neon has such a small, you know, is so small in numbers. So this is kind of like a, a call out. If you're thinking of buying one of those cheap, shitty neon pieces, just invest in one that will last yeah, a lifetime. Just, you're helping a tradesperson. It, they're all made by hand with love and sweat. Love. Yeah. Lots of sweat. Lots of sweat. Yeah. Lots of sweat. Well, and also you can get it customized, like a hundred percent. Oh yeah, absolutely. Customized. What are some of the custom pieces that you've made? Custom. Um, some of the signs I've made was um, for a girl's salon. I made a sign that says "Go with the flow." Um, and it was just done in my own handwriting in script. I've designed a shark pattern. Um, I've done a couple other text pieces um, in different styles of text. <laughs> I've done a tattoo piece that's, you know, kind of like this double stroke English gothic font. I've done this sign that says impossible and um, super stretched out double stroke letters. I've made my friend a lily um, that I designed myself as a gift. Done uh, a couple different things. What's your favorite piece that you've made? Ooh, um, my favorite piece I've made, that's pretty hard, um, hmm, I don't know, I can't even think, as soon as I think of one, a different sign pops up in my head, and they all start coming back to me, there's been a lot, yeah, I can't think of one that actually sticks out as favorite. It's like the most fun to bend and everything. I like the butthole <laughs> one. That's my favorite. But I didn't see it lit because I don't think it ever got lit. Uh, did it? it did. Uh, I mean, it got made, um, but broke before it got installed. Nope. Yep. The tragic story. Um, what did it say? It said, I just want a girl who will stick a finger out my butt. Why did you um, make that? Because <laughs> um, why did I make it? It was a cry. Yeah. Was a cry uh, well, honestly, yeah. Uh, the simple, simple answer is I just wanted a girl who would stick a finger up my butt. It was a uh, yeah, a real um put it out into the universe, speak it into existence type of piece. Real. That happened? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep, it was a success. How many, how many times did it become um, successful? Not too many. Just but enough. just enough that just it enough worked. Just enough to be considered successful. <laughs> Is that why 
it's not in commission anymore, it's because you no longer need yeah, a girl need to a stick a finger up your butt. Out there. I just haven't quite found it yet. All right, well, you can write, I want a nuclear family. You can take that <laughs> off the list. What about advice? Do you have a piece of advice that you could give? Hmm. Everything that's coming to mind is going to sound like such a cliche. <laughs> I mean, I'll, fuck me. I'll do it anyway. I mean, think I, about your own experience. Don't don't say a damn ugh. cliche. I don't want to hear that shit. Think back to your own experiences through life and like, you know, what would have been good? Like, what would have fucking been good to know or what 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 is a piece of advice that like actually got you far? Move across the country because great things are going to happen. I don't know. Um, we'll see. It... Don't date people who don't want to <laughs> date you. You are so funny. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to go my cliche. But it honestly is good. And it leads into everything else. And it's honestly, honestly... Because it's a cliche, I feel like people don't take it seriously enough. But what I'm going to say is, honestly, be yourself. Follow what you want to do. If you like it, keep at it. Get good at it. Um, Stick with things. And uh, just trust yourself. Oh, right. I know. Like, I know. First one to ever say that. Especially on a podcast. Yeah, no, that's no, that's that's I just pretty feel good. Like, um, I'm probably gonna put those at the front. It's kind of like known and said, and that's why it's a cliche. But honestly, like a lot of people preach it, but not too many people practice it. And um, honestly, I don't have many regrets. I wouldn't have done a lot of things differently. Even the mistakes I've made and the problems I've faced, you know, I, they're all okay. They were all great learning experiences and lessons. But, yeah, I don't know. I do what I want, what I think is right. And it's uh, kind of worked out for me so far. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I'm going to say to people. Um I forget exactly why I said, you know, before 40 seconds ago, but they can rewind it and hear it again. (laughs) That's fucking wonderful. You're great. Great advice. Thanks for reaching down into the bowels of your heart for for that one. Um, Are there any good books to read up about, Neil? Um, There's a great uh, historical book called Flickering Light by Christoph Ribot. And um, it's just uh, a very, very thorough book about the history of Neon from its basically leading up to its creation, so a little bit before Claude in 1912, all the way to modern day, and just everything Neon's had... um, everything Neon's been a part of in between. So, very interesting stuff. Um, I recommend it a lot. There is also a book called 
Being and Neonness by Louis de Miranda. Um, and that's a play off of Louis de Miranda. No, I was going to ask you, what is that based off of? Okay, so it's a play off of, of, um, oh my god, I'm I'm blanking on his name now. I had it the first time I was going to say it, but now I'm blanking. It's okay. Um, uh, Super famous, as soon as this book's looked up, his name's going to pop up. But it's a play off of this other book by a philosopher called Being and Nothingness. So this is called Being and Neonness, and basically it's a whole book about the philosophy of neon, which sounds weird and obscure. It sounds like you. <laughs> I do love it. Are I you sure you didn't write the book? I wish I did. Um... It is so <laughs> interesting and um, just such unique, different perspectives on Neon and what Neon does to the human psyche and culture and a lot of good philosophy um, yeah, ideas. So I recommend those two books. Um, much more affordable than yes, a neon sign and a definitely. neon workshop. Yeah, but both really good reads. One's, yeah, a little bit more abstract thinking and one's a little bit more factual um, to the point history. So, you know, a little something for everybody. Speaking of everybody, where can everybody find you if they want to look at your work or get in contact? <laughs> Have you make them a sign? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Adam underscore Taylor underscore two. So, um, yeah, do that. Um, I'll see you there. Oh yeah. And that's about it. That's all I got. Um, what have you been doodling? Can you show me? I traced this. Rosebuds. But it's in your graffiti sort of airy yeah. cloud like text that you do. Yeah. Um why rosebuds? It's because of a poem uh I really like a lot and have been reading a poem that's been stuck in my head a lot recently. Would you like me to read it? Yes. Um, okay. One second. Okay. It's called To the Virgins to Make Much of Time by Robert Herrick. And it goes... Gather ye rosebuds while ye may... Old time is still a-flying, and this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. The glorious lamp of heaven, the sun, the higher he's a-getting, the sooner will his race be run, and nearer he's to setting. 
That age is best which is the first when youth and blood are warmer. But being spent the worse, the worst, time still succeed the former. Then be not coy, but use your time, and while ye may go marry, for having lost but once your prime, you may forever tarry. Uh, yeah. Stuck in your head. yeah. At least the first line <laughs> Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. That's just like on a loop. <laughs> Well, I can't wait to have you back on here to talk about. Oh, I would love to. Non-toxic it's a lesson that needs to be taught. Okay. Well, I think um, that's it. Do you have anything else you want to say? Uh, I think I killed this. Maybe. Um, I mean, it's still going on, so that can change real fast. But, uh. I was super nervous and scared, but I think I did okay. So, it feels pretty good. Um, and yeah, before I stutter for too much longer, we should probably end it. I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> I'd say Thanks. so too. Exactly. Quit while we're ahead. All right. Goodbye. Okay, goodbye. Is there a, a name for your listeners yet? Goodbye, little sisters. No. (laughs) That'll work.